and welcome to the Friday, June 5th, 2020, Marching in the Streets edition of On Iowa Politics. We're starting a 21 Days of Kindness challenge here at the Gazette, and since I'm in isolation here at home, it seems my options uh, are limited. Who am I going to be kind to? But here goes. Brett, hell of a job on the 4th District Story Tuesday night. Likewise, Amy on the 1st District and your COVID-19 coverage. Aaron, thanks for your help Tuesday night. And Stephen, you all always make us sound so good. So there's right. four days, John. There's four days. <laughs> Hi, I'm James Lynch for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, and I don't have any kindness because I will... Full confession, I ran over a poor baby bunny with my mower yesterday. Oh. Oh. I'm going to start off by admitting I'm the worst human ever by starting No, this. you just have to add a day of kindness. <laughs> and Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. And you are the kindest host that I've ever had on a podcast. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And for my kindness, I'd like to point out that you are my second favorite host of the On Iowa Politics podcast. (laughs) 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 Can't hear Aaron anymore. I wonder what. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. And this week we're going to talk about primary election results. Let's start at the top of the ticket with the U.S. Senate race. Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman called this a no-drama primary. He likened it to, he said it was a coronation like Hillary Clinton's uh, coronation in 2016. Uh, I'm not sure Hillary Clinton remembers it as a coronation. Uh, I think there was this other guy running for that uh, job, Bernie somebody, Sanders, Sanders. Yeah, that was uh, Aaron. Uh, is Kaufman right that this was uh, just a formality uh, nominating Teresa Greenfield to run for the U.S. Senate seat? Yeah, uh, formality and no drama. I, I probably wouldn't go quite that far. Um, in defense of the good chairman, um, Teresa Greenfield was the favorite at the start of this race and obviously uh, was a strong candidate and finished strong uh, with a very decisive victory. Um almost doubled up uh, the rest of the field in a, in a four-way primary. Um, so she was clearly the favorite and, and the, um, you know, leadership in the party got behind her, had a lot of uh, strong endorsements and the national party uh, was supporting her, investing in her. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Um, uh, you know, Jeff obviously has his political reasons for um, classifying the race the way he did. But, it, you know, she definitely was the favorite from the start and, and um, you know, clearly uh, was a, a strong finisher at the end. Uh, Brett, maybe Jeff Kaufman wasn't looking in the right place for drama. Uh, it seems like there was some drama over in, in your area <laughs> as people waited in line to cast their votes in person. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so Woodbury County, just a, just a smidge of background. Um, with all the coronavirus, um, so many county auditors and obviously um, the Secretary of State, Paul Pate, had wanted people to um, uh, do as much mail-in voting as possible. So at Woodbury County, um, we had only five polling places, but there was drama at one of them. Um, 
in the middle of the day on, on Tuesday. Um, the Woodbury County Auditor reported um, that there was a man who got in line and um, people were offered, as people came to the polling places, um, they were offered masks and then there was this uh, spritzing hand sanitizer that they could also have. And we had photos and almost a strong preponderance of people wearing masks. Anyway, this man got in line and saw other people wearing masks and then began to verbally accost them for, I don't know, being, I guess, taking, being too precautious, like, you know, this mask isn't actually needed, you know, what are you doing, and refused to take a mask. And then it got so, I guess, heated that eventually three people left the line um, who were wearing masks because they didn't want to be around this guy. So it was... Uh, <laughs> an episode that didn't exactly paint, you know, this, this precinct in Sioux city, the way it all played out wasn't, you know, that's kind of a black eye and uh, three people left. What, what I don't know, I guess I would say James is if they came back, maybe they went left. And then after the, that guy exited, maybe they came back and voted, but it's potential that three people did not vote because of this situation. You know, I, I'm not, familiar with the intricacies of the law, but it seems like that guy really opened himself up to some election interference. Um, wow. You know, I mean, if somebody really wanted to pursue this because, uh, you know, interfering with somebody trying to vote, uh, probably uh, there's probably federal penalties involved there. Uh, getting back to the, to the Senate race, um, uh, Teresa Greenfield now facing Republican Senator Joni Ernst. Uh, it appears both of them will be incredibly well-funded with or without outside PAC money that Jeff Kaufman talked about. I don't think TV stations will have to worry about a recession this fall. Um, the outside groups spent something like, what was it, $10 million for Greenfield, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has uh, reportedly reserved uh, or, uh, $20 million for Joni Ernst. Uh, breaking this morning... Uh, a poll done for Emily's group uh, finds that uh, Teresa Greenfield has a two-point advantage, 45 to 43% over Senator Joni Ernst. I haven't seen the details of that, but I'm guessing that's within the margin of error. So uh, not surprisingly, this looks like a dead heat uh, at the starting line. Uh, Amy, given the backgrounds of these two candidates, uh, are we going to get sick of references to castration, squealing pigs, and scrappy farm kids before this is over? <laughs> well, we might, but <laughs> yeah, I, I did see a commercial the other day. Uh, you guys might have seen it too, the Teresa Greenfield commercial where she's standing in front of the pig pen and and sort of talking about, you know, Joni Ernst and her record in Congress and I, that was exactly my thought. It's like, God, it's just going to be a pig-themed election the whole way around, <laughs> which might work. I mean, it, it's entirely possible, you know, especially because, you know, pork farmer, farmers are having a really rough go of it right now. It might mm -hmm. not be a bad idea to to sort of say you're on their side. But, but no, I, I would anticipate that, you know, if anything, they'll probably like um, – you know, tear at each other's bona fides of who's the real farm kid or who's, you know, actually had farmers backs. Um, but hopefully, yeah, we we are talking about, you know, other issues as well. You know, let's get into health care. Let's get into uh, coronavirus plan. Let's get into, you know, um, all these other things, I'm sure, 
So yeah, I noticed that as well, and and that'd be really interesting if we had a, a squeal off, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that the thing about that ad that really strikes me is um, uh, Greenfield says makes a reference to the "Make Them Squeal" ad from six years ago, and then says she didn't castrate anyone. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> 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 uh, what are you? <laughs> Proposing here. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, okay, whatever. One of the things that I, I wanted to ask is um, the, the other candidates who ran in that Democratic primary, Eddie Morrow, Kimberly Graham, and Mike Franken, do any of these folks have a political future here in Iowa? Um, Aaron, you, you heard one of them being encouraged uh, to look ahead. Um, he, yeah, yeah, I was... Um, Kind of monitoring as, as we kind of divvied up our election night uh, duties, I was monitoring um, Kimberly Graham's um, election night, you know, virtual party with her staff and volunteers. And they were just kind of talking as as they were waiting for the results to come in. And, and one of them um, encouraged uh, Kimberly, if, if she didn't win, to that she should run for governor. And uh, in in two years, and uh, she, she kind of hemmed and hawed. It, it sounded like it wasn't like, yeah, I'm planning to, but I don't want to announce that yet. It was more like, oh, I, I didn't even a thought that occurred to me. Um, it, it didn't sound like something on her radar. But I will say, I don't know if she'll be in running for office again necessarily. But uh, I will say about Kimberly Graham, she's got that activist uh, streak in her. She kind of ran in the Bernie lane. The um, uh, grassroots campaigning type of person. And I would be surprised if she just completely went away. I, I, I would suspect that she'll be around in some form uh, politically over the next few years, whether she's a candidate for office again or not, I, I can't say with any certainty, but, but I'd be surprised if she just disappeared into the background. She, she tweeted, I don't know if it was yesterday or today, tweeted that she's going to be um, helping legislative candidates in, in an effort to yeah. flip the Iowa House. So, yeah, I there don't you think go. she's going away. Um, Brett, um, I've been hearing people encourage Mike Franken to stick around and run for something in two years. I'm not sure what that would be. Uh, do you have any idea of what he might do? Yeah. Will he even um, be I, I did, in two years? Yeah, I did, I did put an inqu inquiry out, and I haven't heard back from him. Um, but, yeah, I um, was – Wondering about the possible 2022 would be a governor's race, the governor's race. And then I guess you could make the case that if J.D. Shulton doesn't win the fourth and, you know, who knows, because they'll be redistricting how the districts will exactly look, you know, what number that would be. But, um, you know, he might make a good congressional candidate. I, I've been personally wondering about either of those as and I guess kind of to repeat what I said last week on the podcast that he's he's an atypical Democrat. Um, Running, for, you know, running for these statewide offices. In that, a lot of times it's a, a Polk County person, um, you know, more of a, a metro, you know, type person. And, and uh, he's a Sioux County native, as we talked about his resume being lining up uh, pretty well against like some. I think his resume would have lined up pretty well with Joni Ernst, and um, you know, strong on the military and and how that would work for a lot of people to draw on some independence and. I don't know how much crossover Republicans he would get, but you know, you could make the case where he, with some seasoning and you know having a, his name out this time, that you know, 
there certainly could be another future for him in two years. Yeah, and in yeah, two yeah. years, the Grassley seat will be uh, yeah. I mean, his term. Oh, U.S. Senate. Yeah, okay. Yes, and we don't know if that will be an open seat or if Grassley will run for re-election again. I would say that Franken strikes me as somebody who's more tuned into federal issues than state issues. I mean, I, running for governor, sure, it's a possibility, but it, it, his interest seems to be more at the federal level. Um, Amy, any thoughts about these folks, if, if they have a political future or... Uh, I think you're right that um, Kimberly Graham has that activist streak. And I think she could really um, be put to great use in, in one of the statewide um, activist organizations too. Um, you know, a, a community organizer on the ground would really, I think, improve her um, name recognition if she's looking to um, go for the governorship. I think, you know, putting that bug in her ear, but then also maybe getting some more, um, yeah, I think name recognition in one of those uh, community organizing groups and stuff like that, getting her name out statewide, that would really probably help her. I think Michael Franken um, also has a future. Um, I think he's he's really got some good numbers and he's he's got the background. Um, he's got, you know, obviously the military background helps. He's got the, uh, you know, the rural Sioux County roots that helps um, in, in the same way that Brett was talking about um, those attributes of J.D. Shulton. I think um, he could he could run for statewide office again. Um, and I think, you know, Eddie Morrow, you know, he he maybe ran a little bit more of a negative campaign than people thought. Um, but that also helped him with name recognition. And I think that if he he or Cal Woods were to run again, because um, Cal Woods picked up some votes, you know, even though he had been out for a couple months. I think um, both of them could probably find some success in other offices if they were to go, go that route again. Mm -hmm. Never say never. Never say never. The other marquee race on the ticket was the 4th District uh, GOP primary. Brett, uh, Representative Steve King, became the first Iowa Republican congressman to lose a primary election since H.R. Uh, Gross defeated John Gwynn in 1948. Um, wow. It didn't come as a complete surprise. Uh, as we've talked about before, King has been in trouble as his support has dwindled in recent years. What's the reaction over there, uh, you know, kind of in his home territory to this loss? Is it sort of good riddance or are people, uh, does he still have his supporters? Yeah, well, I, I would say that um, to open that I was hoping, of course, and have been seeking to get an interview with, with Congressman King Tuesday, since Tuesday night, since the loss, and certainly hope that would land here in the, in, so we can you know, talk about you know, what, what he says and assesses for how that all played out. But um, <clears throat> of course, he's, I mean, he still has defenders, sure. I mean, he's got another seven months on, in his seat. And um, I did take a quick glance to see if we, I was wondering if we had a slew of uh, Sioux City Journal letters to the editor that had come in uh, and we have had none so far um, for in defense of him. And, and maybe we have a lot of people who, um, who think that Steve King doesn't get a fair shake from the media, of course. And um, um, but, uh, you know, he certainly still has defenders, but a, a good chunk of his base, you know, was whittled away just from the problems from with losing the committee assignments and. And um, the narrow loss to J. J.D. Shulton led people, you know, like Randy Feenstra, who won the primary, to see that there was you know, somewhat blood in the water, that, that he was at risk, and that um, this is something that, they, that he could go for. Um, I, I, I know that some of the 
um, county county officials. Uh, I'm not saying you know like like chairpersons, but at various um, levels um, in a lot of the county parties that were strong King supporters had softened. You know as the last couple of years have gone on. So, um, you know, his base, his base just wasn't, wasn't there anymore, obviously. So while Democrats are happy to see King go, um, their, uh, chances of picking up this seat really haven't improved, have they? No, no. Yeah. That, and that's one thing that, um, um, I've said here and there is Democrats, um, had, had like a had to decide what you know what, what what did you prefer did you prefer to have JD Scholten to have a, a Democrat hold the congressional seat or do you prefer to have Steve King not be the representative because those those are two different things um, because with with um, Feinstein winning the primary um, a lot of Republicans who were skittish of the King can now come back to the fold and that makes it a much more formidable task for Shulton to, to win. Um, uh, certainly that's the case. Yeah, smart politics said the odds of a Democratic pickup uh, dropped precipitously with Feenster's win, and the day after the primary, Cook political report moved that race uh, to solid Republican and said Democrats, quote, no longer have any chance to win um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a district that uh, Trump won by 27 percent. And I think the last time I looked, the the Republican voter registration advantage is about 70,000. So, I mean, that's a J.D. Schultz right. starts in a, in a big hole there. Right. Um, so uh, I'm, I was going to say that uh, Steve King is probably busy with his committee work, but uh, uh, and doesn't have time to talk to you. But a, any idea of what's next for him? I mean, yeah. Fox News, or is he yeah. going to go back to yeah. digging <laughs> You kind of hear the same, the same. Uh, what you just said there. I've I've talked with um, a couple of Republicans and you know just politically connected, you know, pol politically interested people, and and the Fox News is is one thing that people throw out quite a bit that he could could be freak, do frequent appearances there. You know whether he would join a think tank back in you know D.C. that remains to be seen and. You know, he just turned 71. Maybe, you know, maybe he does want to just be back here in Iowa. Um, I, I can't imagine that he, you know, he, there's, there's, I see zero way that Steve King would just, you know, become someone that we don't hear from at all anymore. That, that just doesn't seem like it to me at all. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Amy, uh, in the first district, uh, I guess we could call that a no drama primary. Uh, Ashley Henson was the big winner there. Um, I, I guess if there was any drama, it was that, uh, Thomas Hansen got, what was it close to 30% of the vote? I, I didn't see the final number there, but, um, I was surprised. 25. Yeah. 25%. Yeah. 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 Um, so we've got, uh, sort of this matchup between two younger women, uh, both with experience at the legislative level and obviously Ashley, or I mean, Abby Finkenauer has uh, a couple years of experience in Congress now. What are your expectations for this race? I think it's going to be uh, definitely one to watch. Um, you know, it's a toss up. It's rated a toss up. I, I'm not sure if it's still after after the primary. I didn't double check those numbers, but um, this district was always a toss up. I mean, Abby took it from Rod Blum um, and it's it's been 
always touch and go. The the whole district is just very, very split. I think you're going to really see Democrats and Republicans pour a ton of money into it um, and just flood the airwaves. So get ready to see a lot of Ashley Hinson and Abby Finkenauer because I think this is a really important seat for, for both parties. I think it's just going to be a bloodbath, honestly. I think of of the races, yes, you're going to see Teresa Greenfield, Joni Ernst, a lot of too. But you are definitely going to see a lot of Abby Finkenauer and Ashley Hinson. Yeah, it, it strikes me that this, of, of the congressional seats, this might be the the most competitive uh, when you look at the fourth. And I, I'm not that familiar with the third, but uh, the second, um, you know, there's just a Democratic voter registration advantage there that's very hard for Republicans to overcome. So the first district might be the most competitive. Uh, and I think one thing we really haven't talked about is that going into redistricting, uh, the parties really have an added incentive to hold a seat like that to make sure that they're in a good position in, in 2022 uh, to maintain uh, those seats, that they, they don't want to lose anything uh, right now before redistricting. So yeah, it's really yeah I think you're right. That's going to be one to watch. Um, I, I guess in the second district, there was a hint of drama in the days before the primary uh, question was, would Bobby Schilling walk out of a hospital where he had had cancer related surgery and win the primary or would uh, Republicans there stick with Marionette Miller Meeks for a fourth time. And uh, Miller Meeks won by about 5,300 votes over Schilling and got 47% of the vote. Um, but then Democrat Rita Hart seemed to steal the final scene when the day after the primary, she rolled out endorsements from Republicans. So <laughs> that's going to, it'll be an interesting race. I'm not sure how competitive that's going to be. Um, uh, you know, if you look at recent elections there, Republicans have done pretty well, except in Johnson County, where there's just an overwhelming uh, Democratic voter registration advantage and, and they Republicans haven't been able to overcome that. Um, Aaron, uh, legislature is back in session. Um, and just as we thought, they resumed their coronavirus interrupted session and quickly finished their business and went home. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's uh, in and out. Uh, no, no speed bumps along the way. Hey, before we get to that, I want to tack on real quick to the last okay. conversation. It was sure. something that um, I w hadn't realized until we sat here thinking about it, or as I sat here listening to the talk. Um, 20, 50, 50 in 2020, the group, uh, that had been formed to, um, get more women to run for and be elected to office, um, mm -hmm. open for gender equity by 2020. They didn't quite meet that, uh, made some big gains. They felt good about their work. They dissolved those people involved in that, um, organization got to be doing a little, uh, celebratory dance right now. Um, the first and second district um, primary or general election races and the Senate race all feature two women candidates running that's against a good each point. other. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy. And then, and then you have Cindy Axney running in her race too. So we have five races, 10 candidates at the federal level, one, two, three, four, five, six of the 10 are women. So that's, that, that's pretty remarkable. That's, that's pretty good stuff. What's the world coming to? Yeah. <laughs> and I was, the joke I came up with is I, I feel sorry for uh, 
uh, misogynists in the first district because all they're going to see on their TV are. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a rough summer, summer and fall for poor one out for all the misogynists over there in Eastern Iowa. Now we just um, need three more political analysts on the podcast that are women. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Turn the mirror on yourself, journalism. That's right. Good job, Amy. Well played. Well played. All right. So what are we talking about? There's something going on in the legislature, right? Yeah. The legislature is back in session. Actually, uh, Aaron, you ventured into the Capitol. Um, what was it like over there? Uh, you know, I'm going to steal from Zach Walls, who we interviewed on the first day as part of our, um, uh, you know, story that we did on what it was like for all of them to come back. Uh, and Senator Zach Walls of Iowa City said it was surreal. I think that's a pretty good uh, uh, word to use. Uh, it's 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 still pretty empty in there. Um, obviously, the public is not coming to the Capitol like they normally would um, for a legislative session. You've got most lobbyists. There was a, I think most of the lobby was there. Um, probably not all of them, but but a good share. And then the legislators, some of their staff, but not all of them, and even them. The staff mostly aren't allowed on the floor. So it's just a very surreal uh, view. It's very quiet in the Capitol, nothing remotely what you are used to in a legislative uh, session. So it was very, very unusual. But uh, look, we live in unusual times, so probably should have expected that. Um, I will say, um, and look, I, I, I don't want this to be taken as a political view. It, it shouldn't be. I, we're, I'm talking about the what public health experts are recommending. Um, that is not being heated at the Capitol in in a percentage that is um, probably a little too large. Uh, I, masks or mask use is sporadic, um, to say the least. Um, and uh, there are a lot of people who are, you know, not wearing masks and sitting at tables together, um, three or four at a table, none of them with masks on, in close proximity, shaking hands, all this. So it's uh, <laughs> petri dishes. Is, is the right word. Uh, um, Polk County is already a hot spot uh, um, right now for COVID cases. Uh, I, I just wonder uh, what uh, these few weeks here in the Capitol are going to do that. And if we're, we're going to start hearing stories of legislators or lobbyists and others um, getting sick with this. I certainly hope not. Uh, but uh, um, the, the public health warnings are not being widespread observed. Right. Well, it's not just the the lack of following, you know, sort of best practices, but uh, Wednesday, the first day the legislature was back, there was this rally outside the Capitol where we had legislators, I mean, just like heaping scorn on people who are following best practices and, and sort of denying uh, the, the danger of COVID-19. Um, it, it's... I guess that just adds to the surreal uh, atmosphere there. Yeah, that's right. At least that one was outside. That's the only thing <laughs> that was outside but instead of yeah. inside the Capitol. The other big news this week is uh, the um, protest demonstrations that we've seen uh, in response to the death of George Floyd, who was uh, in the custody of Minneapolis police almost two weeks ago. And um, we've seen this pretty much in every uh, city, larger city across the state. Um, and in most cases, these demonstrations have been very peaceful. Uh, in some cases, not. Uh, in Waterloo the other night, Amy, uh, one of your colleagues at The Courier, 
was attacked while covering a demonstration. Like a trooper, uh, I guess he finished his assignment. Uh, it, it, how's he doing? Well, I talked to him yesterday um, on camera. Of course, we started uh, hearing about it. So um, there was a video that circulated on social media. And, and let me be clear that this was after sort of the, the march had happened, um, after the demonstration had dispersed. And these were um, people that were sort of just continuing on in small groups um, to, you know, go down streets and protest and, and the police are keeping an eye on them still. Um, but yeah, so uh, Jeff Reinitz, who is our, our regular cops and courts reporter, was on, this was Tuesday night. And um, basically, um, as sort of individuals were, were starting to become angry with him continuing to film, continuing to take pictures, they sort of started to take their aggression out on him. Now, what's interesting is um, in this video, which we only have a portion of up on our site um, of just him sort of getting hit in the face. But what led up to that was um, him almost getting hit and then other protesters stepping in on behalf of him and sort of putting themselves and their bodies between him and the aggressors and saying, you know, don't don't hit this guy and actually getting hit themselves. There was a one gentleman who, who was hit. Um, and Jeff, being Jeff, told me, I told this guy, you know, get out of here. Don't get hit on my account. You know, and, and then he sort of got sucker punched again in the face, um, in the back of the head a little bit. Um, but he said he's all right. Maybe mentally, you know, he's got to take some time for some self-care. Um, but he actually let me know all this um, and then continued on on his job. And later on, when the police were clearing a park, he ended up getting uh, tear gassed as well. So poor Jeff had to deal with all of this on Tuesday and, you know, was just letting me know um, on Wednesday, um, you know, keep this in mind, you know, just make sure you stay safe and everything. And of course, people worry about me a little bit more just because I'm a woman. I took a little bit of time. I put on a reflective vest. I made sure people knew who I was and whatever. But Wednesday night was peaceful. And it was because people had seen that video circulating on Facebook. You know, I think he's he's processing it. We're processing it, you know, because we were pretty angry and sad and and frustrated for him, and and that's really why we wanted to tell his story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and as I said, we've seen uh, similar demonstrations and and uh, memorials uh, in many communities. Um, do we get any sense that there's a, a critical mass developing that is going to lead to change? Amy, uh, you know, Waterloo has was called the worst place in Iowa for Afri African-Americans to live. Will anything change there a as a result of this? Yeah, I've done stories about that before. The, the website 24-7 Wall Street has a ranking every year. Um, last year, we slipped to number three, so we're doing slightly better. But um, yeah, it's still, you know, obviously there are problems and, and, and some of the problems are with the police. And I've I was talking to demonstrators on Wednesday night when I covered the protest um, and leaders of, of the protest that had spoke. And they said, you know, we've got a new police chief, first of all, in Waterloo, just started on Monday. And he's actually been really instrumental in talking to protesters um, and going to these and sort of he had a whole listening session one evening where he just um, let people ask him questions. Um, and he is also African-American. So I think that sort of thing, listening, um, you know, reflecting your community, that's really important, I think, for people to see. But it's not everything. People are still um, telling us that they're angry at certain things, um, neighborhoods being over-policed, um, police coming in with more force than they should. 
uh, police not taking them seriously, even even something as simple as um, the dragon logo on the police cars, um, which some people say looks a lot like a KKK dragon symbol, and they would like that removed. So it's just sort of stuff like that that's just been in the community and just been building um, that people finally feel like they have an avenue to express. And I think that um, in that way, George Floyd was just that spark that sort of reignited all of this. Um, And one of the pastors at the demonstration told me that he was going to be sitting down with other community leaders and talking with the police chief and talking with city officials about police reforms. And I think if you've seen those floating around too, I think that's what people are really looking for. Can we talk about um, de-escalation techniques? Can we talk about use of force techniques? Um, can we talk about community building and and bring the police force into that and what that looks like? And I think those are all really important conversations to be having. And it it's definitely the right time because I think more people are listening than ever. I didn't realize that was a dragon on the city logo. I thought that was a lion, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess I can understand the, the, uh, the sort of the concern there on the part of uh, people if it uh, reminds them of a KKK logo. Um, Brett, you've seen demonstrations over there in Sioux City. Uh, what's, is anything going to happen? Yeah, well, for, first of all, Sioux City doesn't have the complicated history that, as Amy has described, with you know, that's been present in Waterloo. Um, there's, there's not a lot of um, racial type um, um, angst, I guess, that gets routinely expressed over, over here in Sioux City. And um, I don't have a, a great sense on that, I guess. But I, I do, there, there is, there has been, um, there's a woman in Sioux City who is an uh, uh, African-American woman who's a very strong activist who kind of got ahead of this by forming, I think it's called Unity in the Community. A, um, it's a, um, a group, and, she, and this woman just joined the Sioux City School Board, so she's, she's getting more prominence in the city. Um, her name's Monique Scarlett, and um, Unity in the Community has sought to make connections with with uh, um, African-Americans in Sioux City and the police force um, to kind of head problems off, to have more discussions before things come to a head. And I know that she feels like that's been been a good thing. It, it, it is fairly new, but, you know, in this case, um, she took this on herself to create this, and it, and it does have wide support, but to kind of be proactive. And I guess one of the things I wanted to say um, is that when the first demonstration that happened in Sioux City was a week ago today on Friday, um, and then there was some several in the last several days. There was going to be another rally this afternoon um, on the west side, which is the predominantly African American part of town. Um, but the Sioux City police last Friday in the first one took the approach of we're going to have a presence, but we're going to be way back. And and they announced this so that people knew it, and this is how it actually played out. But they announced that we're going to be there but we're going to be there in low numbers and um we're not going to be all geared up to have like a military type look you know we we trust that this will not get out of hand and i think having that approach helped things at least for the first couple rallies so they didn't get out of hand now one did on on monday night or i'm sorry sunday night but um finally that one had gone i think it was 10 hours and finally at at 3 a.m when when the police 
who had again been standing back said, okay, you know, it's getting late, it's time to disperse. Then there was a problem and there was some throwing rocks and things. Um, but I, I think that's a good example of what how the police approach these things can really, you know, factor into how in some ways they play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Good point. Aaron, uh, in Des Moines there, you covered a um, news conference at the Capitol where some legislators talked about uh, addressing racial inequality. And uh, it, it's not a not yet clear if the legislature is going to uh, take up their recommendations. What are they asking for? Yeah, so the, it was a press conference organized by House Democrats um, uh, to introduce some poly, policy proposals. I'll, I'll say that uh, probably the most uh, riveting speaker at that event, though, was a, a young woman from Des Moines who's been a part of these protests, and, and she talked about... Um, the urgency of the moment and and how important it is for legislators to act um, and and what it will mean to those people if if action is not taken in this moment and and uh, so I took that to, uh, to heart and took that inside and literally right after that was the governor's press conference and asked her about that and while and, and while the governor didn't rule out legislation this session uh, what's left of it uh, she also didn't promise anything or pledge or, or make it sound like there was an urgency to get something done. She talked about her criminal justice task force and the ongoing work with that. Um, but she seemed to kind of be managing expectations. Uh, so it didn't send a great signal that something will come out of this session. Now, as I say that, uh, rare breaking news here on the podcast, um, our, our colleague, um, Rod Beauchart, uh and, and and then Ray Kay Henderson of Radio Iowa were out involved with uh, the taping of Iowa Press for Iowa PBS this weekend. They had some legislative leaders on uh, the show this weekend, uh, Republican leaders in the majority. And they apparently said, and this is a, a dispatch from uh, Kay, that uh, they do plan to do a racial, some kind of racial justice bill. I don't have any details on that. I, I don't know what's going to be in that. Um, but they have pledged to do a racial justice bill. So that's a big deal. That And obviously the devil's in the details. We'll see what it exactly looks like. But just the fact that there will be something, um, it, it, based on what I've been hearing, again, from that young woman yesterday and other folks, the, the, the need for something. So the fact that there will be a bill coming, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. Um, real quick, uh, you asked about the, the proposal from that press conference yesterday. It had three prongs to it. Um, three ideas and whether they all went into one big bill or separate bills, whatever that, that wasn't necessarily hashed out, but they had three ideas, um, a ban on the use of chokeholds and neck restraints by police, um, a ban on rehiring officers who have been fired for misconduct or use of excessive force. Um, and the last one, Oh shoot. Uh, uh, forgive me. Does anyone remember that last one on the top of my head? I'm blanking on it now. I'm trying to find the story, but there was a third, um, it, it was three prongs to it. Um, and I apologize for blanking on the third one. So, so we, that we forgive all Rick, we forgive all Rick Perry type episodes. That yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so, so that was the, the actual legislative proposal, um, that they came up with, um, it, We'll see what winds up in this bill and, and whether something um, is actually going to come um, out of this. I found it. 
quick uh, <laughs> went to my, my Twitter and found the link. The third one is giving the state attorney general and local county attorneys oh, okay. the authority in, to investigate police misconduct. Um, right, right. So, so that's uh, so it'll be interesting to, to now follow that uh, for this last whatever we have a week or so of this session. There's not a lot of time left. Um, but, um, you know, as, as we say that, it's also fair to note that, look, when the legislators are so motivated, they can do big legislation in a short time. We've seen that before. It's, mm-hmm. it's not impossible. Uh, it's just a matter of whether they're going to prioritize it. True, indeed. And uh, we'll probably be talking about this again on future editions of On Iowa Politics. I hope today was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Johnny on point will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. For Brett, Aaron, Amy, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.